You are now listening to Carly's Couch. I'm Carly. And I'm Lex. In this podcast, we discuss a wide array of topics about life and how to live your best life. Whatever that looks like for you. Hope y'all enjoy. Happy whatever day it is that you're listening to us. Thanks for listening to Carly's Couch. We are excited about today's episode. Um, For a minute there in the pandemic, we had to just hold it down and just tell you what we were thinking about. But now um, we're starting to add more and more guests into the mix. So we're excited. We have a special one for you today. Um, Before we introduce our guests, though, we want to remind you to leave reviews, leave comments, um, leave us five stars. Tell us how awesome we are online. We'd love to share any thoughts that you have. And as always, we kind of go up under there and comment a little bit as well. Um, You can also leave us a phone number. Call us. And that's why I did the two different ones. call us. There's a a TikTok that's showing if you ask people born like after 2000, like what, like, hey, use your hand like a phone. They just do a little palm like they're going to call. Oh, wow. The rest of us are mad old, yo. We all do this and all the little kids do this. I'll send y'all a TikTok. Um, Oh, that is true. (laughs) He is. All of them are like, and then one of the parents did it and was like, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> Y'all have to watch the video to see what Carly's talking so about. So whether you're using your hand to make Don't a phone Don't tell them they can watch it. <laughs> I'm saying either way, y'all can call us and leave us a message. Let us know what you've been thinking about the episodes. You can also leave us a topic or a question or something that you would like to hear us discuss on the vouch at 323-505-2030. So make sure you call us. Um, and then I'm super excited about today's guest. We've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while, but COVID and life and everything happens as it should. So if you're ready to get your life together, then <laughs> <laughs> man, because his Instagram be getting my life together. But if you're ready to get your life together, then you definitely need to listen to today's episode. We are speaking with Stevon Lewis. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in the South Bay. He began his career in 2007 and has made... And and now has made a simple approach based off of two core beliefs that that we can't change others, but we can change ourselves and that our past shapes us, but does not define us through therapy. He helps professionals overcome imposter syndrome, which is actually why we have him here today. He also. Man, you got to pull up. I say, yeah, I want to make sure, list. you know what I'm saying? I want to make sure I, I do him justice. Oh, um, he has been featured in for as an expert for various major television and media platforms, including the Oprah Winfrey Network, Bustle Magazine, Thrive Global, and Entrepreneur Mag. As a corporate consultant, he has facilitated discussions about race in the workplace for the Pancreatic Cancer, Cancer Action Network and Tory Burch. In addition, he has hosted a series of workshops for A New Direction, a London-based nonprofit that provides support and development to individuals that are underrepresented in the creative and digital industries. Hype it up for for Stephon. Got to give people their flowers. Thank you for being on the show with us. We appreciate it. Man, thanks for having me. It has been a minute. We have been trying to connect. So to finally be here with you guys feels real good. Good, good. It feels good to me, too, because I'm ready for you to get my life together. Um, Like Carly said. (laughs) (laughs) Like Carly said. So, you know, our first question for you kind of goes into how you got to where you are today as far as this topic you focus on of imposter syndrome. You're a licensed marriage and family therapist. How did your focus become imposter syndrome? That is a a great question and a good place to start. Uh, Being a licensed marriage and family therapist, it is kind of a misnomer. 
uh, in that people think that I only work with couples or families and I work with neither. Uh, I only see individuals these days. I used to work with couples. Uh, I still have the couples on my caseload, but I'm not taking on new couples anymore. Uh, so kind of what I, I was doing was that I was kind of doing an inventory of all my clients and the ones that I seem to have kind of the most fun with or, or most impact uh, kind of shared some similarities. And, you know, I did a little bit of research on those similarities and lo and behold, it led me to imposter syndrome. So this was somewhere around like 2017. Uh, and so I started to transition, put a label to it and, uh, you know, kind of it's gone from there. And now it's in the, in the everyday space and vocabulary of, of more people. And, and I love to see it. And I think I've seen a lot about imposter syndrome on social media, especially around now. Like everybody's like, oh, this imposter syndrome. Can you explain to us what it actually is? Because I think sometimes I see stuff that might be called that, but is not actually that. Oh, for sure. For sure. So a bit, a bit of history. I mean, if, if you guys will indulge me. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, so imposter syndrome, like the technical term for it is imposter phenomenon. And it was, uh, it's a term coined back in like 1978 by Dr. Pauline Clance out of Georgia, uh, the University of Georgia. And so she was working with uh, women kind of in, I think, the Masters of Social Work program. And they were getting high marks and, and really doing just as well as the men. Uh, but they constantly felt like they were behind or weren't as good as they were. And so she kind of coined this term, uh, really, really addressing the idea that people who are, who you and I might say are killing it in life, uh, like, you know, that person's kind of, you know, doing the thing, I'm, kudos to them, big ups. They don't feel like they're as skilled as they are. In fact, they feel like they're a fraud, that somehow they've duped everyone into believing they have talent and abilities that they really do not possess. And so part of my work is really to get people to attach to those successes and say like, hey, it wasn't a fluke, it wasn't some happenstance, it wasn't luck, it wasn't a coincidence, it wasn't because somebody else assisted you. It wasn't all these other reasons that you used to separate yourself from your accomplishments. It was you. And let's just start there. Why do we separate ourselves from, from our accomplishments? Ooh, that's the million dollar question. Right? Now <laughs> Look, I seen, I seen your prices on the website. I said, let me get all the info I can get. <laughs> I'm not playing around today. At all. I, I, I am not an imposter in that way, right? I, I don't feel like I'm a fraud. Uh, no, so what, uh, what happens is that, and this comes a little bit out of, you know, Pauline, you know, Dr. Clancy's research and also some of kind of my just, uh, I guess, experience in working with people. Uh, if we're going to be honest, it, it kind of goes back to prior experiences. So what happens is that, you, you know, we grow up as individuals and we have experiences and those experiences shape who we are. Uh, and what I found is that people who have imposter syndrome usually had a parent that was really critical of them. Uh, so they had a parent who was really trying to push them to be the best versions of themselves. And as a result of doing that, uh, the person started to doubt that they did anything well. So they only got really, you know, I guess commented on when they were quote unquote not doing what they were supposed to be doing. So it's the little stuff of sit up straight, you know, chew all your food, you know, don't, don't, don't hold your fork like that. Just all that stuff over time, you know, gets, gets to send a message to us that we aren't doing what we're supposed to or we don't know what we're doing. Uh, they had parents who often maybe didn't give them praise. Uh, so what they did is they, they talked about here's where you need to improve a lot, but didn't also provide a level of praise for accomplishments that they did. It had to be something pretty grandiose or amazing. So it wasn't like, hey, you brought home an A, you had to bring home all A's, or you had to be valedictorian, or you, know, you had to be first in your event if it's a sports uh, activity. And so not getting the, the kind of you know, praise for every day for just being yourself, you start to say, well, I only get you know, 
talk to when I'm quote unquote messing up. And also when I feel like I'm doing good, that doesn't really get reinforced. So it says like, hey, I'm not, I'm not really that talented or, or skilled of a person. And so we get to this place of where things have to be perfect in order for us to, to kind of feel okay about ourselves. And then the other things are if we find that we are individuals that come from a family where we're the ones who maybe got out or you know, accomplished something, went to school, and maybe we didn't have parents who did so. Uh, and as a result of that, we're like, well, I'm the only one in my family who's kind of gotten to this level. Uh, most other people haven't. I can't be too different from them. So we like, eh, I really don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and so we have to question ourselves there. And then the last thing is if we are in spaces where we aren't kind of really affirmed for who we are. Uh, so think about kind of being a you know, person of color, uh, Black, you know, BIPOC, or in, in majority white spaces. Or if you think about, you know, maybe women in tech, or men in nursing uh, that, you know, you don't see a lot of people when you're in the room that look like you. And so you tend to feel as though maybe I don't actually belong. And so we question ourselves instead of questioning the environment. So I feel like you kind of covered every person uh, ever. So <laughs> I want to ask now kind of the opposite and say, especially with the parent, right? Like what, what type of experiences do you think would give somebody the environment to not have imposter syndrome? Uh, just Is it just like, oh, a lot more praise growing up? Or what would you say? Uh, I would say balance. And so I don't want parents to think that they cannot critique their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to critique in a way of, of not making it a, 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 a criticism, but more of a complaint, right? So like, it's, you did this as opposed to this is wrong with you. You don't do, right? So separating out from you know, you are the mistake or you made a mistake, Um, but also kind of acknowledging where they did well. So if you just only give feedback and it's about negative things, how do I know that I do anything well? And I'm saying just be a little bit more balanced. And so oftentimes because I'm getting people as adults, uh, you know, the damage is already done. So I can't already have opportunities to prepare to undo that stuff. Uh, And so, you know, I'm working on them kind of being that for themselves. So being more balanced and not just being so critical of yourself, but also acknowledging, hey, that you do, you do some good things and that both can coexist. Um, so like, I guess to your point is if parents can be more balanced and, and saying, hey, you, you got, you know, all A's and you have this one C, you know, is the C your best effort or do you feel like you can do more of that? And it's like, okay, if you can, then what are we going to do to bring that up? Mm-hmm. I love the way you answer that because there is, especially in our communities, a big emphasis on tough love and you know you think you're doing this to help a child grow up but you know there's so many adults to your point that now it's like man I got to unpack all of those things because that's all you kind of took in as a child and then the, the last thing to piggyback on the parents is does that mean that imposter syndrome or people who have imposter syndrome kind of beget more people who have imposter syndrome you think uh, that can like it's be- just kind of a cycle it could, it could be the case for sure. Like, I'll, I mean, I have clients that I've worked with who recognize some of the pressure they put on, uh, you know, their, their next of kin, their kids to, to be X or to do X or to kind of treat them in a similar way. Again, the intention is good. And so I don't want people to think that like their parents are horrible people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people do have horrible parents, so I'm not going, you know, cap out here and be like, oh, no, all parents are great. Like, yeah, no, nah, not really. But uh, most of their parents are well-intended. Um, and I think that like we've got to separate the intention from the outcome, right, or the impact. And so that because we were well-intended, sometimes our impact can be negative. And so we've, we've had parents that, you know, were on us tough and we feel like we turned out kind of okay because we have some successes and we kind of dismiss the doubt part. We, you know, will put that kind of pressure unknowingly on our, our children as well 
with the same goal is to kind of help them be the best versions of themselves that they can be, but also not really recognizing that maybe this other thing that's coming along with that is not really great. Mm. No, I think that's an interesting outlook and I've never really thought about it like that. Like, you know, like where it kind of comes from and a lot of it being parent or environment based, um, but turning it back on to like us as people um, in the workforce or entrepreneurs or whatever we're doing, I feel like most people are their own worst critic um, thinking about everything that they're doing. So what's the difference in being critical of ourselves and like having imposter syndrome? Like what's the difference with self-doubt and imposter phenomenon? Uh, Same, same deal. I think you are connecting to something that is very true, especially for people in like creative spaces or entrepreneurs is that the, the inability to kind of acknowledge or be balanced in our critique of ourselves really drives us to feel like shit, like we feel terrible about who we are. So, I mean, you'll have somebody who is accomplishing great stuff, uh, but they will also couple it with what they haven't done or where they still need to get to. And so now, for whatever reason, that diminishes whatever I've accomplished. Uh, I don't subscribe to that, but a lot of people do. And so that like if, you know, I had a a 50-point game, but I had two turnovers, all of a sudden, you know, that was trash, you know, and it's like, well, I, I still had a good game and, you know, I did turn the ball over and maybe that turnover led to like the other team winning, but I still have 50 points. Like, don't, don't take that away from me. But what we do, it's like all or nothing. And I, I kind of call it, you know, people defaulting to perfection, that perfection becomes the standard. And so if we aren't perfect, then it must not be a, a really good performance. And I'm saying, well, you know, we can acknowledge the good and that doesn't necessarily negate the bad or, you know, vice versa. Uh, so it does lead to self-doubt, like, because if we're only, again, sending messages to our brain that suggest that we aren't where we want to be, or aren't performing as well as we could be, or that everyone else is around us is doing so much better, then how could I possibly feel good about myself or feel confident or, or think that I'm doing anything that is of worth? You're speaking a lot to uh, the part of imposter syndrome that's, you know, you don't have the uh, you don't have the confidence that you're where you need to be or you have perfect standards. But can you speak a little more about the part where I'm also thinking that somebody could find me out any moment or that, um, you know, I, I have to be careful because, I'm, you know, something may happen to where everybody finds out I'm a fraud. That part of it, I think, is, is what really makes imposter syndrome kind of stand out from just perfectionism and other things. Um, so what does that piece of it mean? And that's the part of where I was talking about being able to attach to your successes. Um, Oftentimes what I'll see when I work with people is that they will find a way to explain away the good things that have happened to them. Uh, There's all these reasons as to why something good happened and none of it is really because I did anything. Uh, So you'll see people who uh, work in a team and so the team does well. And so they'll negate their contributions like, oh, well, it was all the other people around me that did really phenomenal jobs. And it's like, well, you also did too. Or if you say, or, you know, got your job because you knew somebody. We know that uh, in the world we work in, networking is big and nepotism exists. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing, uh, but that sometimes it's about who you know and what you know. And I think when people say, well, that person liked you. And it's like, well, yeah, they did like you, but I don't know that because I like somebody, I'm gonna let them do a terrible job. Right. Uh, and so they, they question or find ways to question the success or what they're bringing to the table. And so they say like, oh, well, I did good this time. But again, here comes that perfection. I don't know that every time I can do that. And so I don't really want to you know, lead people to believe that I can do this on a consistent basis. 
And the reality is that they've been doing it, right? So like they're living with this belief or fear about the future that at some point they're going to be found out to be a fraud when all the kind of objective evidence before, you know, or to date has shown that you're getting it done. So like, why would that stop? Like you did it yesterday, you did it the day before that, but all of a sudden you're saying at some point in the future, it's a possibility you won't be able to do it. And then everybody's going to think like, oh, because you had one bad game, now all of a sudden you suck at playing that sport. Like, I I don't, I don't buy it, right? Like everybody has an off night, but again, that's that perfectionism that people attach to. And so they, they aren't really willing to kind of say that they are the ones who did really well. And another thing about imposter syndrome that I think is so interesting is that it's kind of a lot easier to see it in other people than to recognize when we have that thought or are saying that until you kind of watch some playback or, you know, something like that. Um, I kind of can a little bit now because I'm a little more aware of the way I respond to things when people, especially like you said, compliment something that I did with work or something like that. Um, or in emails, I'm good at it because I can see my test and be like, nope, I don't have to say all that extra stuff. Um, but give us some tips on how to be more aware of where we might be on that scale based on how we're talking to ourselves or how we're doing things. That's a great question. Like, I think you're supposed to do the snaps. <laughs> with that shit that was that's a fire question like that is a really good observation uh so you're, you're absolutely right is that people it's easier to see in others right and so we will big up other people we'll say no like if we hear them kind of questioning or doubting themselves or feeling like they don't know what they're doing quick to be like that's silly that doesn't make sense and we can ramble off a ton of evidence of why that is an irrational way for them to think when it comes to ourselves we are terrible at that stuff uh, so, so the first thing that I kind of do when I'm working with someone is get them to be aware, uh, help them kind of be more aware of their language. Uh, I think that language carries a lot of information in it. Uh, I think that language has power. And if we aren't mindful of that stuff, we can start to, you know, send messages, like I like to say, send messages to our brain uh, about what reality is and what's really going on. So when we talk about ourselves in a way that is disparaging or is not kind of uplifting to what we've accomplished, or has some doubt to it, then our brain says, oh, then I must not, you know, kind of go ahead and feel confident about myself where I shouldn't believe X because this doesn't matter. And so getting people to talk about how they talk about their accomplishments or be aware of how they talk about their accomplishments is hugely important because sometimes we'll minimize what we've done, uh, we'll dismiss it. Uh, like you said, when people compliment us, we try to shy away from it and put it back on them or, you know, it's all these other reasons, but the brain is saying, hey, this isn't yours, don't keep that. And so what you're saying to yourself is, if something good happens, by all means, you don't, do not attach yourself to it, that must be a bad thing to do. And so we're creating that distance or separation. Um, and so like, if you aren't aware of your language, then you can send messages to yourself and you can talk about yourself in ways that will, again, foster you to not have confidence and feel, feel like a fraud, even though the, the reality of the situation is or objective evidence or information out in the world suggests that you are killing it. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to start. Um, and, and we do that. We shy away from all of those things. We big up everybody else but ourselves. And I think that's some great information. My therapist always says is you have to treat yourself like someone you love. Like that's mm -hmm. a great way to start, like just changing everything about your life. Um, and you, Lexi asked, like, you know, what are some ways we can notice it in ourselves? And I want to ask you, like, do you suffer from imposter syndrome or did you used to? Is that something that, you know, you've dealt with on your personal journey? For sure. So like, I think for me is I've, I've had a unique kind of life experience um, so that like early on, probably like eight years old, third grade, 
I got bused out to a school in the Hollywood Hills, you know, predominantly uh, kind of white, you know, Jewish and uh, pretty, pretty significant kind of Asian population, but not many black folk, right? And so I, at a young age, realized that the rules were kind of different for Stevon Lewis. Uh, and so that, you know, someone, Jeremy, could do one thing and he would be okay. If Stevon does it, you know, he's going to get a call home. And so uh, what I, I made a conscious decision, and I don't know how I got this, you know, divide superpowers or whatever. Uh, I said, well, what they can't take away is, is I can, I have knowledge. I'm intelligent, right? So school doesn't come easy to me. I can get good grades, but you're going to deem me on like, you know, I talk to people and I'll ruin it for them, but whatever. So it's like, as long as I got these A's, uh, you know, you can spill however you want about anything else because, you know, I'm getting the score. So and that, that's kind of what I leaned to and <laughs> leaned into at an early age. And so I've kind of been a fan of me. I was like, yo, they aren't going to accept me. Like the rules are going to be different. So you just got to own that. And so I think part of my experience is I gravitate to people that don't do that because I'm like, yo, I see you dope, but you don't see it for yourself. And I'm like, you got to because people won't. Like, and I, you know, I'm like at eight years old, I recognize that, hey, people won't see it in you. So you got to like, you know, have that for you. And I'm not saying that there aren't times that I don't doubt myself or especially when I'm going into like new experiences, uh, you know, first time thinking about being on a podcast or, you know, last year kind of, you know, pandemic, I was uh, getting more visibility, doing some stuff for TV. And it's like, I hadn't done that stuff before. Do I know if I can do it? Nah, so I'm like, I don't we'll see how this goes. But I also don't, you know, tell myself that I won't be able to do it. I say, hey, well, you've been successful in other areas before you know, why wouldn't this go well? Maybe it doesn't, but, you know, if it doesn't, then, you know, shit happens. But for the most part, you got skills, you'll be all right. You sure will. Um, and you have been, look, we, y'all heard the features we, that we spit up at the beginning. <laughs> look, and now this clip, just kidding. Um, so we've talked a little bit more about what imposter syndrome is and, and what might have contributed to people having it. Um, what do you see are the consequences of having imposter syndrome? Is it that you're not reaching far enough? Is it that you, you know, now you don't see as much progress in life? Like what happens to the person who lives with imposter syndrome and kind of gives into it? Uh, it's twofold for me is that what I see is that people will, like you said, will shy away from opportunities. Um, so kind of the thing that brings people into me is that they feel as though they aren't living to their full potential. And it's because they don't want to take on that, you know, promotion or they don't want to put themselves out there because you got to think if I already feel as though I'm a fraud and I've tricked everybody or fooled everybody around me, the last thing I want is more visibility because that's more of an opportunity to be found out. And so I now I've got to do more stuff to kind of pretend like or to hide or, or remain that, you know, continue to fool everybody, right? And it's, you know, I say a thing of where like, well, if you, give yourself credit. Like if, if you haven't been found out yet, like you see, give yourself credit for being good at tricking people. Like you can continue to do that because you've done it so long, but it's like that, that pressure from it is what drives people to kind of not seek out newer opportunities or, or kind of live to their full potential. And then it's the anxiety of it all, right? Is that I'm living in fear on a daily basis. And so what happens is that in the world and the kind of way we live in the society is the behaviors that we do to, to continue to, you know, I guess hide that, uh, we, we, we don't have the skills we have are overachieving kind of behaviors and those behaviors are celebrated and rewarded. So it's a, a kind of double-edged sword or like a, a vicious cycle in a, in a sense of where 
you do all this stuff that makes you an overachiever, right? It's like you're checking your work, you're submitting really quality work, you're getting that stuff in ahead of time, uh, you're staying late at work, uh, you know, you're getting high marks because you're trying to fool people. And that stuff puts you more in the limelight because people say, oh, this person's really good at what they do. And so they want to put you out front more. But it's like, you know, you get kind of in that cycle, like, oh, well, shit, now I'm out here more. Now I've got to, you know, again, raise my abilities to, to hide that I don't know what I'm doing. And I keep getting elevated. It, it, people just live in constant fear. And I think that anxiety is, is something that, you know, you don't want to have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. Well, I'm feeling anxious as hell just listening to you. <laughs> I was over here like, uh, uh, uh. I don't know, <laughs> all of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you said something oh. earlier about like kind of, uh, you know, talking about like how do we see it more in ourselves? So like, I think the other part in, you know, by all means cut me off if I'm rambling or saying too much shit. Uh, the other part is, is that in addition to language is like we've got to be really aware of our thinking. Uh, so kind of people, I try to teach people the power of, of our thoughts. So like getting people to be aware of their thinking. So engaging in kind of the metacognition or, or metacognitive process and thinking about how we think. Um, and so the idea is that our thoughts will really influence how we feel about things. And then our feelings influence what we do in response to that stuff. And so if you aren't kind of aware of what your thoughts are and all you, what we notice usually first is the feeling. And so I feel afraid, I feel anxious, I feel nervous. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And, and then our behavior then is to try to alleviate that. Whereas like, I've got to get you ahead or, or, or kind of be more preemptive uh, in being aware of your thinking so that you can say, hey, the thought I'm having, is it valid? Is it rational? Should I listen to it? And if we aren't aware of our thinking, then we can go down a whole path of what is or could be's or might not. And, and none of that stuff is ever true or was ever going to be true. But is the goal also to get to a point where you don't even have to have all that extra conversation as well? Because I think, you know, that's kind of where I've been recently, where it's like, man, I'm great at catching things, but it's still, it's like I'm drained because now I'm like, you know, you have thought and think about thought or, you know, something's going on. Now you're thinking about what you should be thinking and, you know, how, I guess, to just start going into some solutions, how do you get to a place where it's natural to not have imposter syndrome or, you know, to not, to have a higher confidence, so forth, whatever kind of leads to it? So, so it's interesting, like, as I'm listening to you talking, uh, here, I guess I'm going to come for you now, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, so you hear, you hear it coming out in the way I'm asking the questions, probably, well, right? <laughs> it, it, it's like you're studying a standard of perfection. You're saying... How well, yeah, that's, I'm going to do place. that because that's what I do. <laughs> that's just what I do, period. <laughs> you know, I'm perfect out here. How can I get to a place where there's an absence of the meaning that there, is, there aren't any opportunities or instances in which I ever feel like an imposter or I have to talk myself out of this way of thinking. And I'm saying, well, I don't know if that's realistic, right? Like we can't control kind of, you know, what happens, like we can control what we do. Uh, so the thought, it comes in and it's our response to it that I want to help you be better at, right? It's, it's, it's not good when we allow that negative feeling to kind of persist. And then that negative feeling causes us to behave in a way that's not really appropriate for who we are, or what we, what our capabilities are. Uh, and so it's not a, an absence of of kind of having those thoughts, I am trying to reduce the frequency and intensity, right? And so that, you know, they don't take you off your game and you go down the rabbit hole for 30 minutes or for two days, or that, you know, they don't cause you to not want to engage in, in more of your processes or kind of doing, seeking out other opportunities in life. I'm saying like, let's just reduce that. And so the time frame went from you spent you know, you used to spend half a day and, and you were drained like that. And then now you catch it and you go down that rabbit hole for 10 minutes. That's gold. 
That is gold. Like celebrate that as I'm platinum then. Hey, that's what I'm saying. That's what's up. That's what's so up. I can't you be there. perfect. I can't be perfect, but I can be platinum. Uh, platinum plus. And it depends. I mean, some stuff, you know, you can handle pretty easily, like and you get better at it. And then some stuff still remains difficult. I mean, think of it. I use a ton of analogies. So it's like, you know, I mean, Shaq's free throws maybe never got good. But also, he added the jump hook, and he wasn't just dunking. So, you know, hey, like, did the game improve? And so let's not say, like, oh, he needs to do everything well. Man, yeah. And that's – I'm letting Lexi talk, but it's the same thing over here. <laughs> I have that conversation often. It's like trying to be perfect in these really high expectations we have of ourselves, whether from imposter syndrome or life or mm-hmm. insecurities, whatever it is, trauma. Um, so <laughs> man, so the goal is just – to continue getting better and doing the best you can with your responses and your reactions to external, you know, triggers or stimuli or whatever, or yeah, thoughts, absolutely. even internal, I guess. Absolutely. And I mean, the way I, I phrase it is to like, I, I give it a, I guess I try to personify it. Right. Uh, so to say that I call it the inner bully. And so to separate it from you. So like, you're not a terrible person. You don't like to treat yourself terribly or horribly or beat yourself up, but your inner bully does. And so the inner bully is that little voice on the inside of us that kind of takes our insecurities and our fears and, you know, the things that we don't think we do well uh, in, and it uses that stuff to make us feel terrible, to beat us up, to make us feel like shit. And so I'm saying, hey, you know, give your inner bully a name and, you know, be, be aware that like when you start to have these feelings or these thoughts, it's not really you telling yourself that, it's your inner bully lying to you. Uh, and so the thing is to kind of question that stuff, uh, ask the inner bully to provide evidence to support that what it's telling you is true. Oftentimes we just accept it because it comes from the comes from the inside of us, right? So if I got on here and I was like, you know, Carly, let's see, like, you guys are trash. You guys suck at the podcast. Like, this is horrible. You're like, you know, what is what does Steve I know? This is the first time on the show. He probably ain't even ever listened. Like, oh, look, this episode ain't like, going out. <laughs> <laughs> it's never released. this shit, right? It's trash, right? And I'm saying, but like, if you thought that about yourself, you'll start to run with that. And you'll spend two days going, how are we doing this right? Should we even be podcasting? I don't even know if we'd be recording. Nobody's like, all this other stuff is nonsense. And I'm saying, treat your inability the same way you would treat me uh, if I don't know nothing about you or if I'm just making shit up. So it's time to impress you a little bit because we know that you have these five steps that someone experiencing imposter syndrome can take to move forward. And one of the first ones you say is to challenge that inner bully. So can you talk about some of the other four, well, not some of the four, can you talk about all four? I'm, I'm trying to see the steps. I'm like, I'm, okay, that's I'm, it. Well, oh, you want to tell you? We can tell you, and then you can talk about them. I'm like, right, I'm we'll like, shit. I am a fraud. I don't know. What like, I've not ever listed the steps out, so like, so I don't I'm know like, what I wrote. I say a lot of shit about it. I just got like, here. What are they talking about? Like, okay, you got uh-huh, go to. So, well, the first one was be relentless <laughs> in challenging your inner bully, and I oh, feel like. Yes. Oh, go ahead. And, no. and you talked about that, I think, a little bit. So, but if you have something more, please continue. The next one, because you started to go into it, though, was to create an evidence sheet. So, like, thinking about the evidence, right? So, mm-hmm. what does that look like, an evidence sheet? For sure. So, yes, be, be relentless in your challenging your inner bully. Your inner bully will want to continue to beat you up. That is its goal. It will kind of morph and find new ways once, you know, you cut off an avenue. So, if you ever think that, like, oh, I beat it up and it'll just leave me alone, don't think that. It will try to find a new way. And it will wait until you are vulnerable, uh, probably entering into a new space and doing something you've not ever done or leveled up to try to attack you again. And so when you start to doubt yourself, question, say, hey, my inner bully, whatever name you gave it, is starting to do some shit. So I've got to, you know, beat it up. Uh, it, you said the, the, the next one was me saying, Creating uh, an evidence, evidence sheet. sheet. 
Mm-hmm. Got you. Uh, so an evidence sheet is, I like to say that like we, we, it's easier to refute our irrational beliefs if we have objective evidence. Uh, so this is not something, so when I say objective, I mean stuff that's just fact, right? Like this happened, you can try to interpret it how you want. The fact is that this, this happened. So, you know, we, we can't really refute that. And so I say just start to build a list of things that have happened and whether you feel good about them or not, put them down on that sheet of paper. And so, you know, when your inner is attacking you, you have an opportunity to review that list uh, to, to really refute it and say, well, that couldn't possibly be true. You saying I suck and I'm terrible and I don't know shit based on the fact that I've done these things, right? So like if I'm a terrible player, then how did I get six man of the year? How did I, you know, have the 25 point game? How am I in the league making it as a, you know, a living doing this thing? And these are just things, right? Like this, I'm not saying I'm the best player. I'm not saying, you know, I need to be the MVP every year. I'm saying if that were true, if it's true that I wasn't really good at basketball, then none of these things would be happening, in my, in my opinion. I don't think that somebody who's not good, you know, becomes sick bed of the year or that they get these things. Did you know there was a show? I can't think of what the player's name was, but he's retired. So he's like out of the league and he's, mm-hmm. he's older. And it's like a show where the best, you know, people who think they're so good can play against them and they never win. So like, even if you're like, the chillest of the chill, a pro, there's a huge difference between, you know, the yes. pros and people who just think like, okay, I'll be balling on my friends every day and, you know, I can hang with you guys. So um, to oh, really like, to this. Yeah. yeah. And he was like the worst player in the league. Yeah. He wasn't like, this even... <laughs> why is a white dude. It was like, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, dude, he wasn't even like a major all-star player. Like he was not, nah, I don't want to be like, a, but like he's in the NBA, but still like, I mean, that, that shows you the level. Like you think you're killing it. And this dude is retired. He's like the same age as me. I mean, I mm-hmm. think I'm about to be 40, 42 this year. I think he's like same, same era. Uh, but like the fact that he was in the league, even though he wasn't getting major runs or whatever like that. Right. It's still crazy. Like, yeah, he's crazy still, you know, whooping everybody. So it's like, yo, remember who you are. And that's the thing, right? But like in an environment like the NBA, he might start to question, like, I'm not really that good. And it's like, well, if you're talking about amongst the the top, you know, 1% of players, okay. But like, you know. Which is still like a a couple of people in the world, so. Exactly, it's like making it to the Olympics and feeling bad about that. And it's like, well, you didn't get a medal, but like also you made it to the Olympics. So what what are we talking about? You know how many people didn't get there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The next two, you've really kind of gone into already. Stop dismissing your accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And then the next one, tempering your expectations of yourself. But Mm -hmm. then the fifth step you say, uh, we haven't talked about yet. Stop comparing yourself to others. That's, that's how do you stop part. doing that so do i have to de- delete my instagram you know i have instagram shit like, you know what i, mean? I, I know because i'm getting attacked by it <laughs> I, I choose violence every morning like, like every day every, every day. day i choose violence like i could be better and i'm like nah uh <laughs> so comparing yourself to others i think i should probably be more exact in my language you know language is important right and say that don't compare yourself to others negatively Right. So like control the negative comparison to others. So oftentimes, you know, just comparing yourself to someone that says like, hey, I'm noticing things that make us similar and alike or, or different. Right. Uh, so I can notice that, you know, uh, you guys, it's two of you guys, it's one of me here. That's just a difference. You, you know, women, I'm man, whatever. Like, you know, hopefully I, not, I didn't misgender anybody. Uh, that, that's kind of, you know, the, the, the difference. Uh, what happens that makes it bad is when I say I'm looking at you guys to see 
where I don't measure up, where I'm not meeting the mark. And so I'm using that information to put myself down. That's where the problem lies. And so like oftentimes when you talk about social media and people are like, oh, social media sucks. And it's like, social media is what it is. Like, I don't know that it, it does. I mean, it can do some shit like that's not good. But like, for the most part, it's your, you know, what you took away from that. So if you're seeing people and they're out balling out having a weekend and you tell, you create this narrative in your head that, oh, everybody has more money than me. Everybody's able to do this stuff. I must be screwing up. Then for sure, you're going to feel terrible about yourself. But I mean, if you create a narrative that says like, hey, maybe none of that's true. Maybe stuff was rented. Maybe that's not really their car. Then I don't feel so bad because it's like, oh, well, I own my car. It might not be this Lamborghini he posing in front of, but it's mine. You know what I mean? And like, I own it and this person doesn't have a car. And so I think we've got to be careful about negatively comparing ourselves to others. And that, that's where the real problem lies in. And that's what we do often. Like when we say, oh, that person's so much better than this. Oh, they're so good at this. And, and that sounds kind of benign. Like, oh, they're really good. But like, if we're taking away the meta message uh, you know, that we're receiving from that is that they're so much better than, than I am and I couldn't be that good, that's when, when the problem kind of, kind of sneaks in for me. Or really, if we didn't judge at all, or maybe that's being trying to be perfect again, but, you know, to, to be able to just look at it and be like, cool car, man, you know, like, and keep scrolling. Like, I don't even have to, you know, make it good or bad. Like, oh, man, y'all having a good time. Scroll. Um, I feel like that would probably be the best attitude to approach social media without, or I mean, in life, probably like we try to make everything good or bad. And it's like, you know, just yeah. let it be. Yeah, for sure. Like we want to qualify it, right? We want to put it into box. Uh, and I think, you know, that kind of, I guess, dichotomous way of looking at the world, it's either this or that, uh, you know, then if we don't fit into to one of those, then somehow we've we've done something wrong. We're in the one we don't think we should be in or ought to be in, which is another demand. Like we tell ourselves things have to be this way or I should be doing this. Again, that language, putting a demand mm-hmm. and pressure on ourselves, which suggests or sends a message to our brain that if I don't have this, then, you know, something terrible or horrible is going on in my life. And like you said, if we could just look at it like, oh, cool car and keep it pushing, I don't know that I feel bad about that. I don't feel bad about it when I see somebody, you know, drive by my house in a car. I don't even know that person. Like, it doesn't matter to me. It could be a nice car. Like, what does that mean? You know, another thing, you don't feel bad when you don't believe in the thing. So uh, to something you were kind of saying before, if somebody were to be like, yeah, that's why you ugly. And it's like that, you know, you're like, okay, because I know, you know what I mean? I know I'm not ugly versus if somebody's like, oh, you didn't put too much work into this report, huh? And then maybe you start questioning it. I think imposter syndrome brings out what we actually believe about ourselves. And I can imagine it's really hard to change those, you know, beliefs that are so deep and is it enough to just because this is our thoughts as talking to ourselves, is it enough to like just affirm or have affirmations or you know I do work hard or I do do this or I do do that you know how do you really get in there that that that's exactly it I think that our inner bully seizes on the places where we feel insecure about ourselves so the ones that hit more or or hurt more or hit different are the ones where we often don't have that level of confidence or or belief that we have, you know, the thing we're doing. And so, like you said, uh, you didn't put a lot of effort into that report, suggests that like, I didn't think I'm really good at, you know, writing this report or that my, my, my grammar, I have concerns about that, or that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing in the job. And so I feel uh, worse when I, when I, when my inner bully kind of uses that to attack me. And so, like you said, it's more of, it's also having affirmations and acknowledging that, hey, you know what, you do a good job, but it's that, that, that objective information again, is that if- Oh, if the evidence really sheet. Yeah, the evidence sheet. If you weren't really good at, you know, 
this wasn't your best effort or you weren't really good at your job, then how do you still stay in it? Like, I, there are some people you look at and you be like, the hell they got this job. But I also feel like if they are truly that bad, they would get out at some point. Like they won't last forever. So like maybe they stay past because they had a relationship, but if they're so bad and that terrible, then they would be gone. And it's like, well, if you're that bad or terrible, then why are you still there? Right? Like and you're still in the job, you're still submitting reports or that one person said it, who is that person? I question who that person is. Like, I don't, don't just take it because somebody had an opinion. Uh, you know, the, oh, you're going to turn that in? Yeah, I was. So like, what's the problem? You know, like, well, if you wouldn't, what does that really mean? You know, people will often, I think we'll, we'll kind of question ourselves when somebody questions our process, if our process is different from what everybody else's is. And I'm saying, hey, the way I do stuff might not be like you, but if I'm getting good outcomes, then what, and I'm not hurting anybody, what's the real problem, right? And I think that oftentimes we try to make ourselves match to or mirror what somebody else is doing until they have an unfavorable opinion or, or kind of assessment of what we're doing. And if I'm getting the, the results, you know, I don't care. So again, my, my analogies, uh, Reggie Miller doesn't have a really good shooting uh, style. His, his stroke is trash. Uh, also, that man can shoot the shit out the ball, right? Don't leave him open. Uh, I think he has a high level of confidence where I'm sure people talk about like, you, your hands end up like this. Like, that's not how you're supposed to end from shooting. Also, do not leave that man open. So I don't know what to tell you, right? Like you can hate, uh, that shit looks awkward. Okay, give me my But it goes point. in. But That's it goes in. Hey, hey, I'm saying, <laughs> I, I, I said one time that like, you know, if I bank in all my three-pointers, I made all my three-pointers. And then somebody was like, yo, you want points or you want pretty? And I was like, hey, I fucked with it big time, right? Like, hey, I still, that, that's still three on the board. Go ahead and cash me out. If I could make all my three-pointers, I'd be in the NBA today. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I love all the basketball analogies that you use. <laughs> and I think um, a lot of our listeners who really love basketball will enjoy them too. Um, I like that Lexi mentioned affirmations also, because that's not on your list. And, you know, you are on the bouch. And so you mentioned these five steps, you know, you're in a, you're confronting your inner bully, you know, the evidence sheet, all of those things. Are there any, is there anything else that, you know, you left out? Cause you know, I'm sure there's infinite ways to do this. Are there, is there any other action steps or things that you're like, oh man, this one would also be a good compliment to these or something that's been working lately for you or your clients? Mm -hmm, for sure. Uh, I think uh, Lexi kind of mentioned it when it's kind of like the, the othering piece of where you take yourself out of the equation and say, what would I tell somebody else who was coming to me with the same stuff, right? So like you said, we can notice in other people the, you know, their imposter syndrome and like we can combat it super easy. Sometimes we need to do that. And so like, you know, I have an activity where it's called putting thoughts on trial. And so if somebody, you know, is using your thoughts, you put your thought out there and then you are play, you know, also kind of the, the prosecution and the defense. And so you try to defend like, hey, this is why this is appropriate. And then you also got to engage in activity saying like, this is why this is an inappropriate thought. And oftentimes what you'll find is that you'll show yourself to say that this thought is not really appropriate considering the evidence that we have about ourselves. Um, so like the affirmations is a good one because then it's training ourselves to talk about us in a way that's more uh, positive or, or healthy. Uh, so more uplifting, right? We're talking about things we're good at. We're acknowledging stuff. And the affirmations ought to be something that is, is factual, you know, about us, uh, you know, and that doesn't have to mean that it has to be the best thing about us, uh, that, you know, I'm the best employee or I am the you know, best therapist ever. It's, hey, I work hard to help people. That, that, that's true. People get it. I'm not saying that that always leads to positive outcomes, 
but I'm saying I do work hard to help others, you know, and, and start there with those sorts of things. And it really feels like, because we've been kind of asking for examples in lots of different spaces, but to me, the bottom line I'm kind of getting is it really feels like to take this from um, belief to like real change, it's really about having the right statements and then proving that right as much as you want to prove yourself or prove it wrong that you don't belong or whatever, right? And so it seems like really it's that evidence, it's that, well, let me actually think about why that could be wrong what I'm thinking um, instead of just letting yourself go with it. Like that's really where it's like, Oh, okay. Like you can't, you know, dispute the data, you know, when you can think of those things. Um, and I wonder yeah, if there's love- people who can't even come up with the good things, but like, that's a practice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love the scientific method, right? I mean, it, it works. I know some people don't believe believe in science and data. I do. Uh, so like I, I, I am at the place of where, like I said earlier is re- reducing the frequency and intensity. And so how do we do that? Then we need to, if we're spending 10 minutes, you know, thinking about the stupid thing we said and how that was so dumb. And now we, you know, that person hates us or they don't want us to ever come back. Also spend 10 minutes thinking about why that might not be true. I'm just saying be, be balanced if mm-hmm. you don't have definitive data about what your, your thought is, right? Like you're saying the person is probably thinking you're an idiot and you're stupid. Did they tell you that? How do you know, right? Like otherwise you're going to go down this whole path that is oh. unsupported. By, by data. So it's like, hey, also spend 10 minutes questioning why that might not be true too. Unless you're going to go ask the person to see what they said. Yeah. You got, you got to get off my line, yeah. Stevon. You got to get off my nah, line. Nah, he got to stay I, on You it. know what? I just did that yesterday though. Because I was like, man, I was like, I started assuming, you know, how somebody felt. And I was like, you know what? But I don't know. So what if it was this or this or this? And then mm-hmm. I still was like, nah, but, <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> I'm like, nah, they probably really, really do feel that way. Um, I am. Um, I was say, well, you could ask. You could. You could always ask. That's something I've I've had to start doing. Um, to nah. like kind of confront my own, especially like when relationships and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like if I feel like, oh, you know, somebody had an attitude this morning, and I'm like, dang, did I do something? And I'll just ask instead of being like, well, did I do? Like, hey, are you okay? Did I? You know, are you good? And they're like, oh, I'm good. I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't. You don't even have to be like, well, I thought that you were feeling this way. It's just like, hey, are you okay? It's like actually, yeah, I'm a I hate when people ask me those things, and so I tend to not ask other people those things, but. Oh, Perhaps. Oh, that's another look at that. You you're expecting you know others to feel. All right, so ah! Stevon. <laughs> no, no, no. Before we, we on the, on next week's episode, <laughs> Stevon um, part two. Read Lexi for twelve. With Lexi, yes. Right. <laughs> I'm bringing questions next time. Um, but it, I told you I was trying to. I was man, trying to get a session in. Expanding <laughs> on what you what you were saying and on Lexi's bottom line, you know, like challenging these thoughts with empirical evidence, um, you know, to the contrary, what about in these new spaces? So for example, like, you know, being in a relationship, but you've never had a successful relationship before. So you don't have a lot of like a romantic mm-hmm. relationship, but you don't have a lot of data. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Oh, I've, I've been a great girlfriend. We've never really been one, but like, the you know, bad. Yeah. Okay. So the data is trash. We're rebuilding here. Um, <laughs> not me others though, but like, how do you approach those situations? Look, I'm glad you asked this too. Let me get like, my notebook. How, how, do you, how do you approach that? Because it's easy for me to be like, oh, I'm good at, you know, teaching mindfulness because I have all these reviews that say I'm good at it. And my clients have given me great feedback. But in a relationship, you know, I feel like that's one of the areas that I don't have as much evidence. And so, like, how do, how do we approach that? Right, for sure. No, I, I like that sort of stuff too, right? It, because it, it leads to that place of perfection or absolutes where I don't like to live. So, you know, if, if you've got an overwhelming amount of data 
that suggests that you haven't been good in, in a relationship per se, are you taking that to say that you'll never be able to be in a relationship or you aren't meant to be in relationships? You know, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm questioning, you mean to tell me that we can't find one other person on the planet that you would mesh well with? Or if we don't even have to take it that far, we can go closer. It's just like, so you mean to tell me you're not good in relationships? And so are we talking about romantic relationships? Because I mean, it sounds like if you have friends or you have, you know, family that still mess with you or, you know, siblings or whatever, then you can do, you have some ability to maintain relationships. What you're saying is that something happens for you in a romantic space. And so it's like, well, if you have the ability over here, why couldn't we do it here? You know, same thing with my analogies, like if I can drive in America, why can't I drive in Europe, right? Like it's going to be different. It's on a different side of the street, but essentially I should be able to handle the car and do well. So what you're saying then is something happens in, in romantic spaces about, you know, you and relating to somebody that way, we can figure that part out, I think. But if you're saying you have no skill, you aren't meant for relationships, then how is it that you have friends that you are in connection with anybody at all? But they don't like me either. That's the that's what the imposter would say next. They just deal with they me. Yeah. And so that's what you're saying is that most people in, in the world then deal with and tolerate unpleasantness at a high level on a frequent basis. I don't know people to be that like that. I mean, especially in society we live in today, we can't wait to call somebody out for being something we don't like. So unless you I don't know what world you live in but like convince me I don't see that I know I'm not like that but some people might be some people might put up with you for a little bit but you're saying on a daily basis for hours on end people will put up with you and they are repulsed and they hate you and they do not like you I don't, I don't think human beings are like that you must know the nicest people in the world <laughs> introduce me to all of them then <laughs> for real Oh, this is good I wish we could spend even more time Stevan. we want to respect your time though and and wrap it up a little bit. We got a lot of good nuggets and a lot of good kind of identifiers and things to watch for and practices to try to try out, um, to try to get better with having imposter syndrome or self-doubt. Um, if you would, please tell our listeners where they can find you, um, how they can connect with you. If you have anything um, that they can purchase from you, where can they send money to? Hold on, I'm, about to say, I'm gonna give a disclaimer. I'm gonna give a disclaimer. If y'all follow him on social media, just know we're not lying. He chooses violence every single morning. Stacey Ann told me to tell you, <laughs> well, yo, why you gotta always have your foot on my neck? Like yeah, specifically, look. when she heard you were coming on the podcast, she was like, tell him I say. And then when Lexi checked it out, she was like, dang, yeah, look, he really I've been is following for, for me. two days. And I'm like, come on, man, you gotta get off my time. Bro, I said that yesterday. <laughs> I was like, it's Thursday. Why are you so hype right now? Like, it's not even Friday. Right, right. It's I don't know how to chill. I have zero chill. And Stacey Ann, yeah, I gotta come for her sometimes, man. She be out there doing like amazing stuff in, in a text mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's like, yo, what you, you question yourself? I'm on your head about that all day. Absolutely. Uh no, so like you said, I'm I'm the most active on Instagram. i you know, follow me at Stevon Lewis, the letters MFT, like Mary Francis Thomas. Spell it out for us. Uh, uh, Stevon Lewis, S-T-E-V-O-N-L-E-W-I-S, -E -E the letters M-F-T, like Mary Frances Thomas. Uh, website, stevonlewis.com. If you Google Stevon Lewis, uh, I'm going to come up. Uh, products, I'm working on some stuff. I am trying to get like a course together, uh, hopefully like a digital course, a self-paced one, uh, two versions of it, a self-paced where so like people can 
kind of get on and at their leisure work on some of this stuff and I'll have some activities or whatever. And then another one that might be more intimate, more like a master class work group, uh, you know, where we you have more access to me. Uh, that's that, that's kind of where I am with stuff. And I'm, I'm doing speaking engagements and things like that. That's great. That's great. So we're going to, we, we are following you already. We want to ask our listeners to follow you and to look out for those materials coming out. Um, but like Carly said, like you'll, you'll get a word from the Instagram. So <laughs> every morning, start there, start there with your coffee or tea or whatever. Start there. Or, or don't cause I choose violence. I'm standing <laughs> so I've been told. <laughs> uh, Steve on, we usually end our, every episode with a question of the week. Um, this week we're gonna we're gonna start with you answering it. Our question is, when do you feel the most in control? I feel the most in control. I think when I'm engaging in a one-on-one with someone. <laughs> I guess me, you know, I'm training as a therapist, but like you know, when I am engaged in a one-on-one conversation or interaction with a person. I feel like I am in the most control. That's like one of my safest places to be. So that means you believe in your expertise. Yeah. Or you feel good about giving or what you're doing. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Or that if people come at me with, you know, questions and, you know, something that I'll be able to handle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I told you I'm my own biggest fan, you know. (laughs) Gotta be. That's That's a great place to be. be. Carly, when do you feel most in control? I feel most in control when I'm in flow. Um, and for me, that's like getting lost in creative endeavors, um, working out, like doing things that I enjoy, like with my body. And then also um, like training, like training and teaching because I lose myself in the moment. And I just feel like when I'm when I'm completely in flow, there's no chance for like anything else to come up. That's good. And you? I would say I a place where I feel most in control is when I'm doing like phone calls with people they're kind of like discovery type phone calls when people are just like hey I want to talk about an idea or so maybe that's it talking about ideas and brainstorming um I really feel in control there because I I like to connect the dots and so my brain really works overtime to try to you know create solutions and bring out ideas that I hear from other people and how they can make that real I like it I like it Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stevon, for reading us um, every day on social media and us and all of our listeners today on The Bouch. Um, I know, man, they got some gems today. I know I did. I'm gonna go back and yeah, listen. It's my new favorite episode. <laughs> exactly. And we have, we have 141. <laughs> no, no, cap, no cap. No cap. We got 141 episodes. So this is my yes. new favorite. Yeah, this is my new hey. favorite episode. Hey, I'm going to listen for next That's what I'm going to name the title of it, probably. <laughs> Our new favorite episode. Hold on, wait. What'd you say? You're going to listen for next week to what? Yeah, to see if y'all say the same thing at the end. This is my <laughs> new favorite. I was like, y'all played me. That's like, <laughs> here comes my imposterism. You're right. Let me edit this now. to me. I feel like maybe I wasn't that dope on here. I wouldn't do that to you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Um, We sure our our listeners enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And we thank you for being a part of The Couch. Thanks for having me. Yeah.